We are going to be in Genesis chapter 6 as we continue our series during the season of Advent. This will be our second week of Advent. And as you notice, we have candles lit. We have the church decorated for Christmas, poinsettias, songs, uh, Christmas songs are being sung. And so we are putting a special emphasis on the coming of Christ to the earth. And what I hope, as I mentioned last week, what I hope is clear about the season of Advent is that we are wanting to center our worship on the person of Christ. We are, want to, we are, wanting, we are desiring to focus our minds on the person of Christ. And this is all to say that there is a, a massive effort to um, take the world's focus off of Christ during Christmas. And there can also be a tendency uh, for the church to maybe misunderstand Advent when in fact what took place was God, the Creator, chose to rescue the world by sending His Son into a dark place and into a harmful place and in a place where He would be persecuted and in a place where He would not be accepted. In fact, even family members would turn away from Him and, and this would lead to the point of His brutal death and even the wrath of God being poured out on Him. And so this is what Advent is. And Advent should remind us of this very thing. It also tells us that God longs to fully dwell with us, that the earth will one day be filled with the righteousness of God. And Jesus is coming is to tell us that God intends to dwell with you and with me, but Fully, And so what we have seen throughout the history of time is that because of the fall, God has dwelt with man in part. But we are, a day is coming when we will dwell with man fully, as Revelation 21.3 tells us. So if you would, turn to Genesis chapter 6. Last week we looked at God's intention for uh, His relationship with mankind Today we're going to specifically look at the problem as we look at Genesis 6, verses 5 through 8. Let me open this time in the Word with prayer. Father, I pray that You have been and would continue to condition our hearts to receive Your Word, to be sensitive to Your Spirit and Your leading Father, I pray that, Lord, we would be dependent individually but also corporately now as a church to hear from you, to believe that you do choose to speak to us through your word by your spirit, that that is how hearts are revived, resurrected. That's how revival comes. That's how we see our sin and how we recognize our desperate need for Christ. And so, Father, even as we read in Genesis, as we, even as we look at the person of Noah and his family and the wickedness that surrounded the earth, that this would ultimately point us to our Savior, point us to God coming in the flesh and dwelling among us because of His love for us. Father, I pray that You would 
bless our church and Lord that you would continue to use us as a light in this community and that we would long as your people to spread your glory for the sake of the gospel. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Please follow along with me. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Verse 8 says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So here's where we, go, we are going. In order to understand or in order to believe that God intends to dwell with mankind, we must trust in God's cleansing, judgment, and in His covenant grace. Now in this passage, the Bible begins to use strong descriptions for the state of the earth and and the state of humanity as it communicates to us what the world looks like post-fall. Now, if you follow the trajectory of Scripture from creation to Genesis 6, you're introduced to to humanity by seeing that God made mankind in His image, male and female, that He would talk with, that He would even rule with, and as mentioned, that He would dwell with. But now following the fall of mankind, we get here to Genesis chapter 6. And so at this point, according to the Bible, about ten generations have passed from Adam now to Noah. And of course, people lived much longer in that time. But ten generations have passed and now there is this great divide between God and man. And this is what Scripture is communicating. God made man in His image. We get to Genesis chapter 6, all that has happened in those years. And now there's this great divide between God and man whom He made in His image. And now as we read here, the text says that the Lord was sorry that He made man. Now, your version may say that God regretted that He made man or even that He repented that He made man. And so this can be a very confusing thing to understand. This, this can be something that we wrestle with and we struggle, to, we struggle to connect our view of God with this phrase that God relented or that God was sorry for what He had done. But what this is telling us What this is pointing to is the complexity of God. And in fact, it helps us to even affirm that we're made in His image. Because I know very well that you guys are very complex. You probably know that I'm complex. You understand that you are very complex. That you have emotions inside of you that wrestle with one another. This is something that tells us that we are made in the image of God. Our complexity is a reflection of His complexity. Only ours is tainted and has major problems. We don't know how to reconcile things. God's complexity, on the other hand, is perfect. And it often, it often expresses sorrow while simultaneously expressing certainty 
and His sovereignty. A few months ago, I preached through the text in 1 Samuel 15 where we're told that God regretted making Saul king, which is the same word that is used here. And as I mentioned then, this is expressing that God had great sorrow because when He looked down at His creation and when He looked at the earth, there was great sorrow there even though there was great certainty in His plan, even though there was great confidence in all that had taken place and even though there was great certainty in what was going to soon take place. So, I, these are deep waters that we get in when we begin to talk about God's regret or Him being sorry for mankind, but at the same time He is perfectly certain in His creation and perfectly certain in what's to come. And so these are deep waters and, and this is something that I drown in if I stay in too very long with my mind. But they're in the Bible. These truths are there and they're firm. And somehow this, these two things are joined and married perfectly. Ezekiel 18 verse 23 asks this, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord. And if we are unsure of that answer, then Ezekiel makes sure to give us the answer to that question in 1832, which says, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So with that in mind, and as we look at Genesis chapter 6, which is telling us of the coming flood that will wipe out 99% of life on the face of the earth, we are to see that as God thinks through what is certain to come, as God acknowledges what has to happen, there's great sorrow in the mind of God, in the heart of God, while there's great certainty and His sovereignty is completely intact. So what we are seeing here is God looking down at mankind. He's looking down at the ones that He has separated from, the ones who have been made in His image, and He's certain that He must judge the earth. He is certain also that this will one day lead to God dwelling with man, that this is part of this perfect history that we are in the middle of. And so, we are going to look at this in the context of the judgment of baptism and the grace of baptism. So why are we talking about baptism here? And the reason is, is because the New Testament connects the flood with baptism. And that may be an odd thing to think about, but here's what we see in 1 Peter chapter 3. If you'd like to turn 1 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to look at verses 18 through 21 as we see this connection between what we know of as the sacrament of baptism and the historical account here in Genesis chapter 6 of the flood. 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit, in which He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah 
while the ark, so find the connection here, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, Noah, his children, their spouses, were brought safely through water. Verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I realize that we have just read so much that you may want to study or say, I had no idea that was in the Bible. causes you to think about a number of different things. But do you see the connection there between baptism and the flood? That's, that's what I'm hoping we get, the connection between baptism, sacrament of baptism, and the historical account of the flood. Now, as we often think about the flood, we think about Noah, we think about Noah's family, and, when, and then we think about all of the animals that came to get on the ark, and then the ark survived this flood. But we also need to see that the flood is an account of judgment. That when we look at the flood, we see a baptism of judgment, that the world had to be cleansed, that the only hope for the world was cleansing, and therefore there was a baptism, there was a flood, and a cleansing took place in Genesis chapter 7. And so, in other words, what we're seeing in this section of the Bible is that there was a major problem. God created man in His image. We get to Genesis chapter 6. We see some severe results of the fall. There is a major problem to the point where God is so grieved that He has to wipe out 99% of life on the globe. So the world had to be cleansed. And therefore, when we witness a baptism, or when we consider the fact that we have been baptized, we should recognize that it is symbolic of judgment. We should connect it with judgment because baptism is saying that we must be washed and that our sin is being judged. So when we see baptism and when we see the water go across the body, we should recognize that this is symbolic of God judging sin, recognizing that, there, that cleansing has to, be, has to take place, that even our wickedness is being judged, and a reminder that our wickedness must be judged and that our separation from God must be judged. And so the gospel calls us, and this may take us back for a second, but the gospel calls us to trust in a God who judges. The gospel calls us to trust in a God who judges us. And the gospel calls us to trust in a God who judges our neighbors and all that live in the world. The gospel calls us to do that. And, and baptism, which is a, uh, a critical act that symbolizes the gospel, calls us to understand that it is symbolic of judgment. And on the second week of Advent, as we celebrate and as we recognize Jesus is coming, this tells us to trust that Jesus is coming to earth was a sign of judgment. He came because the world was not as it should be. And He came because He was willing to be the focal point of God's judgment. He was willing to be seen as the one who would take on the judgment of God. And so Advent demands that we see a God of judgment. 
sin and that we recognize a need for cleansing and that we give thanks for a God that refuses to discontinue his pursuit of dwelling with mankind fully. Even in Genesis chapter 6 when he sees the wickedness of man throughout the face of the earth, he refuses to discontinue his pursuit. And so as we consider this passage, as we consider the flood, and as we connect this with what we know as baptism, we not only see the judgment of baptism, but we also clearly see the grace of baptism. And so here's what we should see. When we think about baptism, when we witness it, when we consider our own baptism, we should see that in the gospel, God's covenant love reveals itself in Christ, the person of Christ, as Christ judges and cleanses this world, while simultaneously, graciously saving His children. That while it's a baptism of judgment, it is also a baptism of grace. Consider a bath, or, or consider giving your children a bath or a shower when they are filthy, dirty. What does the water of the shower or the bath do? This is what it hopefully does. It cleans off the filth. It cleans off the dirt as a way, and, and a way to see this is that it takes the dirt and the filth and then it drowns it or it consumes it. But what does the water not consume? The water does not consume you or the child who is being bathed. And so, bath time at our house can be very judgmental because Samuel Jake's been playing and sweating and Elena tells him it's time for a bath and he then responds to his mom by saying, I don't want a bath. And then Elena says, you're going to have a bath because we aren't going to let you be the smelly kid at school. It's a judgmental time because we recognize his filth and his need to be cleansed. But even though bath time may be judgmental, it is a cleansing judgment. Samuel Jake is not swept down the drain with the dirt and germs that came off of his body. In other words, he's not consumed, but his filth is consumed. And what baptism tells us is that when you trust in Christ and believe in Him, your sins are washed away. Not exterior dirt from the body, as Peter tells us in this 1 Peter chapter 3, but the wickedness of your heart. Baptism symbolizes the cleansing work of Christ, and it symbolizes the judgment of sin. And so Christ comes and He cleanses the wickedness from our heart, consuming it. And yet we remain because of His grace. And so it's a judgment and it's a grace. Now back to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8. We see all of this taking place. And then we see, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And this could be just as accurately said, but Noah found grace. And this grace manifests itself in the event of the flood. And we see that in the story, and also Peter states it here as we have already read in 1 Peter 3.20, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. So Noah and his family experienced this baptism 
They experienced this baptism that the whole world experienced. But while it was a baptism of judgment for Noah and his covenant family, those that were tied to Noah, it was a baptism of grace. And understand that by God's grace, by God's grace, we are Noah's offspring. And thus, in a sense, we were brought safely through the water of judgment. In a sense, we were brought through this water of judgment, and so the flood ended up being a work of grace even for us today. That we've been connected. We have been connected to Noah here, and this act of grace took place. Now, this same concept, believe it or not, the Bible is clear enough to give us this same concept in a similar way in 1 Corinthians 10, Verses 1 through 3, if you'd like to turn there. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 3, to see another connection with baptism to an Old Testament event that dealt with water and consuming water at that. 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 1. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses... In the cloud and in the sea. So who who is Paul speaking of here? He's speaking of the fathers, the Israelites, that were connected to Moses. They were all baptized by going through the Red Sea. And then verse 3. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. And so here is... Paul connecting the gospel, baptism, new covenant context with that which happened in the Old Testament. So there was a baptism at the Red Sea. And they experienced, the Israelites experienced this baptism of grace because they were brought through the sea and the sea was very able to consume them. To wash them away as it washed the Egyptians away. But it didn't. And we see that as this baptism of judgment was built up around the Israelites, it waited to crash down until they were through it. So in other words, it was a picture of the fact that they were sinners deserving the walls of the Red Sea to come crashing down on them because of the cleansing that they needed. And yet God was gracious with this baptism. He was gracious to carry them through to the other side. Now Micah, in Micah 7.19, the prophet tells us that God will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. And some translations even say the sea of forgetfulness, which is to say that in the gospel, that our sin is cast away from the eyes of God. In other words, our sin is consumed by the sea. Our sin is consumed by the flood. Our sin is consumed by the walls of the water. And what Advent tells us is that by faith, Christ rescues us from the depths of the sea where our sin goes, where we deserve to go with our sin 
Christ actually rescues us while allowing our sin to be taken on himself and then cast into the depths of the sea while we remain above it by faith in the gospel. Now, if not for grace, Noah and his family, and please understand this about the story of the flood, if not for grace, if God had not given favor to Noah, Noah and his family would have been overcome by the judgment of God. They would have drowned in the flood. But instead, God gave him an ark. And Noah believed in God and believed in God's way of saving him. In other words, Noah believed in a baptism of grace. He believed in being able to be taken through the waters and therefore being cleansed and yet experiencing God's grace. So Jesus came, back to Advent, Jesus came. We sing Emmanuel, we sing God with us because God's cleansing judgment is necessary. And if based on our merits and if based on our action, if, if it was based on Noah's merits, if that's all that we had to look at, then Noah's without hope and we are without hope. We would be consumed and we'd have no hope. But there is covenant grace which God extends to His people through Christ. And so I hope Advent reminds us that not only is the gospel our hope, but it's also the only hope for our neighbors and the only hope for the world. And we have this account in Genesis to remind us of the wickedness of man and the true cleansing judgment of God, but we have the gospel. And the gospel is our hope, and the gospel is our neighbor's hope. The gospel is our family member's hope. And it's the only hope for the world. This is all we have. This is it. And if we're going to pass through the waters without being consumed by them, and if we want only our sin in the depths of the sea, and not to go there with it, then we must believe in the gospel. And then if we want our neighbor's sin in the depths of the sea and not them with it, we must put our hope in the gospel for them and we must share the gospel with them. This is what Advent should tell us. It should show us the problem, but it should also show us the only hope that Christ came because this world is not as it should be. And God intends to fully dwell with you and me. And therefore we must have a cleansing judgment and we must be dependent on God's grace. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare now for the table where you promise us the benefits of Christ, where you promise us even fellowship with Him in a special way during this time, I pray, Lord, that our hearts are reminded of what the Gospel tells us, of what Advent tells us about your cleansing judgment and your awesome covenant grace. Father, I pray that it would, this would be a way in which you would work in our hearts, that you would, this would be a way in which you change our hearts and refocus our attention.
on the gospel and refocus our attention on your ever-changing, cleansing work in our hearts. We pray all this in Christ's name.